Getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust. That's why I trust SeatGeek. It's the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place and you can easily find the seats you want for the price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the app on my phone. Looking at it right now, USC fans, if you want to go out, check out Utah. It's a pretty easy place to get to. The, the airport and the downtown and the stadium are all close together. You can get them for as low as $78 on SeatGeek right now. The best value look like pretty good seats. I think it's a 20-yard line, 99 bucks. Go check it out on the SeatGeek app. They got everything you need to find the seats and the best value for you. You can make it your go-to ticket source for everything from sports. Even if you want to go to a concert, you go to check out a comedy show, the theater, all of that is on SeatGeek. Uh, best of all, all of our listeners are going to get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app to your phone. It's really easy. Enter promo code USC. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. we got to talk some, I don't know, today we're going to pick USC football. That's what we'll talk about today. That's what we always talk about. We got Keely Yor in studio. We got Dan Weber on the line. Lots of your questions following USC's 31 to 20 victory. Yes, it was a victory over Colorado. People don't feel as bad about this one as they did the Arizona one, but you know, heading into Utah, get a little bit of momentum, winning three games in a row. We're going to talk about all of that. If you have any questions for the show, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. You guys know what it is because we're getting a lot of your emails. There's also a phone number you can call or text, 424-254-9141. I feel like fired up, Keely. What's, how are you? What's going on? You're, you have enough energy for the both of us today. <laughs> I, I just went to the gym, so I like maybe I get a little more energy. I, I haven't gone for a while, you know? Wow, good for you. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and we got on the line, thanks to Skype, uh, we got Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? Ah, not much. Uh, hopefully, your energy carries through uh, to uh, to practice today. Uh, full pads practice, where uh, perfection will be the goal, and uh, I'm sure that'll, uh, that'll that's all they need is just to get that offense uh, humming perfectly as they head uh, to play a pretty good defense at Utah. It's gonna be an interesting week to see if. Uh, they can get going in the right direction as after the Colorado game. I'm not sure if we are convinced they are or they're not. Uh, take away the second quarter. Uh, last Saturday doesn't exactly look like a victory, uh, but they hit a really good second quarter. Yeah, that was uh, they, were, they situa situationally mastered the second quarter. I think it was 21 plays or something or for 200 yards. And then the rest of the game combined. 34 plays for 134 yards. So the second quarter was dominated. Yeah. And then you got, you know, JT Daniels, 255 uh, first half passing yards, 
17 second half passing yards. Kind of a not exactly an example of balance, I, I would guess, uh, on the offense. Yeah, Keeley's tweet was great with uh, <laughs> if yeah. you saw it on there. Oh, my troll tweet. Yeah. Was it a little troll? Was it a troll? A little trolling. There was some. Um, yeah, so there was. 200 to zero, I think. You, you hit it when they, they, they had reached 200 passing yards and had zero rushing yards at the same moment. So, uh, yep. balance. There was so there, much balance. There was a little bit of balance there. Um, cool. All right. Well, before we uh, jump into the thing, I want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. They've been awesome to us. Uh, we just I had some my sister in town over the weekend. We went over to Trader Joe's at the USC Village. Uh, so that was fun helping with our tailgate experience. And uh, my wife loves to make meals at home. We tried to eat out a bunch, but when we made them at home using Trader Joe's. So it was, uh, it's been good. She loves the bags. So I wouldn't give her one of the bags because I don't have any left. I sent them all out to everybody. So I couldn't give her my only bag left. So I'm gonna have to talk to those guys and maybe get a couple more, but she loved them. Uh, wish you could bring those to the game because you have to have clear plastic bags to bring to the game. You couldn't bring the Trader Joe's one. So that's the, that's the one flaw, but everyone, everyone loves them. Keely loves Trader Joe's. I know that. I do. It's what? true. It's yeah. my, it's my, uh, grocer of, of choice. Grocer? Is that everyone close to you? Yeah. You're, Grocery store of choice. Yeah, I go to the Silver Lake one. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love it that there's a Hermosa Beach one. Dan, I know there's a Tustin one you go to. Yep. Yep. Uh, they went from a smaller one to a larger one. So, um, uh, yep, they're in a bigger uh, bigger location now. So, and they still are, it looks crowded all the time to me. So, uh, looks like it's in the right place. Yeah, it seems like the people are doing it for the, the tailgating stuff uh, on campus, which is nice. You can tr- drop over there and, and get some supplies. If you forgot anything, it's just across the street. You can go over there and, and check it out if you're tailgating on campus. All right. Well, we got to talk about this game. And uh, you mentioned the the second quarter, there was an offensive explosion. But JT Daniels didn't look very good in the first quarter. A couple of picks. Now, here's the – you know. We don't have like the the reign of Troy like rant line. We, you know, we just usually do questions and stuff. But sometimes, Dan, we get people calling in a little early. So we got a first quarter call. I'm going to play it for you. I think obviously things changed after that, but I'll play this for you and get your thoughts. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is Steve from Carmel Valley. Uh, this message is for Dan Weber. Uh, so I'm watching the first quarter of the USC Colorado game, and I understand that JT is a really talented and instinctive uh, quarterback with a lot of potential. But it just seems to me that his mechanics are really off. Um, he doesn't plant his feet to drive the ball when he throws it. Also seems like he throws off his back foot a lot of the time and kind of floats the ball in. Um, and this gives time for the, the defenders to actually get a beat on the ball and try to intercept it since they kind of arrive slowly. He also seems to not follow through and kind of flings the ball and also stares down his receivers. So I just wondered if the, the coaches are working on a program to help develop these skills and turn him into the quarterback that, that he can be. Um, I don't remember some of our, our other great quarterbacks having some of these same mechanical problems. Uh, so just wanted Dan's opinion on that. Uh, thanks very much, Steve and Carmel Valley, and fight on. Okay, uh, Steve, uh, a couple of things. First, never make a phone call to the podcast <laughs> after the first quarter. Ever, 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 ever. Ever. Or if you do, and you have to make one after the second quarter also. So, uh, you know, yeah, uh, JT, he, he throws it differently. He's not, he's got a very repeatable, uh, delivery. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's his alone. I mean, I don't know that, 
I've, I've seen anybody that quite delivers it that way. I think Troy Aikman maybe kind of had the same same release, but uh, but uh, uh, I think some of the uh, not maybe completely stepping through to the throw has been an issue of the offensive line not quite giving him you know the open pocket. Although they're getting better, uh, they're getting better at it. Uh, I think the Amon Ra, the interception uh, thrown into double coverage, uh, I think that was kind of, I mean, he should have never thrown it into the double coverage the way it was. Uh, Amon Ra would have normally gotten there um, to break up, you know, the ball when it came down, but he got grabbed. And of course, the Pac-12 guys running to get out of the way of the play didn't even see it. Uh, so, uh, but it still shouldn't have ever been thrown. And, and the first one, he was just off. I mean, it was... Uh, uh, I don't think he came out of the bye week real sharp. I mean, I know, you know their goal was to, um, you know, save his arm, keep him fresh and all that. But uh, but I think he thought, and he looked a little rusty, uh, certainly in that first quarter. Uh, but but I think the mechanics that, that he, he uses are very repeatable. I mean, you can't throw, for example, the slant that he threw um, uh, for the – uh, third touchdown to Michael Pittman at the goal line. Can't throw the ball any better than that. Uh, the second touchdown cannot deliver a ball any better than that. Uh, did he underthrow, uh, you know, the ball to uh, uh, the first touchdown to Pittman? You know, he is a back shoulder guy though, and uh, you know that's a lot of that is just working it out between the quarterback and the receiver. I think you, it, that's one of those plays when you've got a six foot four receiver like Pittman, and you know he can come back and get it, you're probably better off throwing it there than, than overthrowing it deep. Uh, and then, you know, the final thing is hooking up on those deep throws is the most difficult single thing to do on offense, the most difficult thing to practice. Uh, it takes a lot of time and a whole lot of energy because, you, you know, you're running those guys in 50, 60-yard dashes, and you just can't do it over and over and over again. It's just one. I mean, it, it's not productive because the guys can't keep running those things at absolute full speed. So that's one of the hardest things to do when you're an 18 year old quarterback. Uh, it's hard. For example, you, you want to compare JT with USC's other quarterbacks. Compare him with the other 18 year old starting quarterbacks at USC. Wait a minute. There are none. Uh, he's in a different place, and so. I wouldn't be, you know, all that uh, all that hard on him, and I'm not sure I want to change all of his mechanics. I mean, there might be times where I'd I'd like him to get his feet set a little bit better, get a little, you know, watch Aaron Rodgers in the pocket and watch his bounce on his feet and that ability. Uh, you'd like to see you'd like to see a little bit more of that, you know, with with JT and that ability to get a little bit more of a you know of a push. But his arm is so good. That uh, that you know I I don't I don't want to change it too much. I mean he's his accuracy is is just awfully good. Uh, I think you know some of the breakdowns are not on JT's mechanics. It's uh, you know I mean when you have four receivers running into one another, two here and two there, that's not on JT. Uh, some of those deep balls you're you know you're kind of guessing where are they going to be. Are they going to go full speed off the line of scrimmage? I mean, the times when you had the guys running into one another, guys weren't taken off at the line of scrimmage like they really should. So 
I know it's easy to sometimes focus on the quarterback, but uh, I think there's a lot more involved, and, and, and I'm much more upbeat about where JT is right now if they figure out every other part of the, you know, the passing game, which I don't think they've, you know, they're not, they're not close to perfecting yet, but that's just my take. Dan, I know when uh, USC's coaches said that JT Daniels was resting his arm during the bye week, it raised a couple of eyebrows. Do you, what is your take on whether JT maybe was a little hurt coming into this game or was it just JT being rusty? I think it was execution that, I, I think that first pass pattern, pass that got intercepted, I don't remember having seen them throw that before. And that was just a little, you know, little misjudgment of exactly where he had to throw that ball to get it over the linebacker. And the linebacker made a great play, was deeper than I think they expected. And, you know, he made a you know big leap and, and, and got the ball. Uh, I think that would have been, that was a way more difficult pass pattern than I would have ever asked my quarterback who, you know, has been off for a week uh, to throw on the first down, first play of the game. Uh, that's not the pattern I think I'd have run. I would like to see him run more, you know, sure things where you give the, you know, Tyler Vaughn and, and Michael Pittman and Amon Ra a chance to make a move and things like that. That's what I'd like to see him, you know, start out there rather than trying to throw uh, throw the ball down the field, but yeah, I thought he looked a, a little rusty. Uh, I don't, I don't think he was hurt, uh, and I just, I think it was some good thinking in terms of, uh, of, of maybe saying, well, we don't want him to hit the wall and you know get the dead arm syndrome, and this is probably more throwing than he's been doing. Although this is a kid that's been throwing, you know, since grade school uh, and going to camps and throwing all summer and all that, but. Uh, uh, I would have probably liked to see him, you know, get get him a little more work for him last week after the bye week, and uh, and throw more in practice. I mean, I was just reading what is uh, Malcolm Gladwell's, uh, you know, that rule of ten thousand, where it takes ten thousand repetitions to get something where where you're a total master of it. Which is, I think, Pete Pete Carroll really believed in the the Malcolm Gladwell, you know, philosophy. And I think now we're down to like the rule of one, where if you do it once in practice, that's enough, and you just move on to the next one. And uh, I'd like to be closer to that rule of 10,000, where you, uh, you, you, you repeat things a lot more in practice. And uh, I think that would, would really help JT more than you know the mechanics and all that. We have a text from Robert from Orange County who wants to know what we thought about the play of Palaie Nayoteote. He says, I feel like the future is bright for him at inside linebacker. Uh, sloppy finish to the game, though. Enjoy all that you guys do fight on. Well, you had to wonder, as if as the announcers were and, and watching the rerun a couple of times, uh, you thought, wait a minute, that guy hasn't been starting? Wait a minute. That guy hasn't been playing, and I know he had the knee and, and all that, but he he's in a different place from almost anybody that USC's had on defense in, in, in a long while. I mean, Uchenna, uh, but but I'm going back to Troy Palomalu to see somebody that instinctive and that, you know, with that kind of ability to, to understand where the play is going to be and, and just to, to take people down. I mean, you know, not only, I mean, he, he basically put out, 
you know, uh, LaVisca Chenault and the McMillan kid. Uh, he just, he, I mean, he comes, there were plays on television when you were watching the replay and you were thinking, where did he come from? Or how did he get there? Or, you know, when you looked at where he lined up and then where the end, where the play ended up in the backfield, you thought, how, how did he do that? Uh, he's, uh, I mean, and he doesn't look like he's, until he hits people, he doesn't look like he's 250 pounds, but, uh, but he's, he's really a special talent. And as I said the other day, if it was the playbook that was keeping him out, change the playbook, uh, but get him on the field. Uh, and now they've got to figure out because I certainly didn't look like he, he was all that concussed and, and had any real symptoms and he certainly didn't think he was. So I'm fairly upbeat about his, you know, chances of playing this week. And, I, and Cam's coming back. Be interesting to see how they, you know, what they dial up. But I thought John Houston played uh, played really well. And Levi, I mean, they're all, all those guys are playing well. I, I, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what Clancy comes up with uh, uh, for for Saturday. But uh, but that was a really uh, positive performance. I, I know people were nervous about once we learned that Cam Smith wasn't going to play, uh, what do you do? This guy, the guy who's your senior signal caller had led USC in uh, tackles for six straight games. And USC goes out there with a freshman who gets nine tackles uh, into early into the third quarter. And then they bring in Ruben Peters, who gets six more after, uh, you know, uh, Neote, uh, goes out and uh, so they get 15 tackles uh, from a uh, true freshman and a, a, so- or a senior former walk-on fullback. Uh, there's some talent on this team, and that was uh, that was really impressive to see how they executed, you know, Clancy's game plan for at least three quarters. Anyway, yeah, that that position does well in uh, Clancy's. Scheme and, and Colorado's a team that does a lot of stuff at, at or behind the line of scrimmage, and uh, the USC defensive speed just showed up, and they were all over it. Yeah, the, I think the speed was really impressive. Uh, uh, speed and aggressive. I mean, that was what I think Clancy's always talked about playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage. I mean, I think Colorado really wants to be run heavy on the first and second downs. That's what they wanted to do, and then uh, you know do some things with uh, Montez and Chenault. I think also you saw what happened with Montez, the quarterback, once he got speeded up. Uh, he had looked, you know, it was the nation's uh, first or second leading uh, you know, passer, 75% completion. And that's where you can tell the level of competition you're playing against. Because, and you know, we tried to tell those people on the bus stampede that USC was not the same level of athlete that they'd been playing against and they didn't want to hear that and thought that was this mean, I was being mean to the Colorado people. I just said, no, it's the reality. The USC has a different kind of athlete. And then they played. I, I thought that was by far, you know, the best we've seen USC uh, play. Um, you know, the rotations are deeper up front. Uh, you've got guys, you know, even when they do the three man rush, uh, guys are really trying to get there and, and have really worked on their moves. And, you know, you've got, uh, you know, Jacob Lichtenstein and um, uh, Liam Jimmons and guys like that that are really contributing. And uh, that was, I thought it was really encouraging. And uh, Jenny Harris just had a, a sensational game. He was everywhere. 
he he was, you know, wherever LaVisca Chenault went, uh, a Jenny went, and uh, their you know their open field tackling for the most part was really good. The pursuit was great. The angles, uh, you know, gang tackling, uh, getting a lot of helmets on the football. Thought uh, that was as encouraging, I think, uh, a performance as we've seen by the defense in a long time. Dan, you mentioned the response you got from the Colorado board. Lawrence actually sent in a question wondering if you ever got uh, any apologies from the Colorado fans because uh, you were pretty correct in your your post. Uh, there were 60 responses and I think 4,383 views uh, up to game time. After the game, there were still only 60 responses. They went. They headed for the hills. There was no not one guy <laughs> said, you know. He might have been right. It sounds like he was telling us the truth. Uh, I did not get that response from the Colorado <laughs> oh. folks. They uh, they decided they were going to blame it all on their coaches. So uh, so it was their coaches' fault. And a blamed it on every one of their coaches. But uh, but no, they did not want to admit. Uh, you know, these guys might be just better than we are, and and they came to play. I, I tried to tell them. They didn't want to hear it. Um, we had a uh, international voicemail. Ooh. Yeah, this is uh, overseas. Uh, so I'll play this one for you. Here you go. Jason from Japan. Last night I watched USC Trojans live show on Periscope interview. Helton, T. Martin, Bayless Jones, and Michael Pittman. It really irked me to see all four interviewees so jovial and almost arrogant about their state of play. Sure, Jackson and Jordan Moore only ask softball questions and even try to pump them up. But where does the staff and team get off pretending like they know what they're doing or pretend as if Pittman and Jones are locked to play on Sundays? Dan or Coach Hyde, do you see anything done in practice that should give these guys that much confidence? Do they really believe they know what they're doing? Thanks. I think they believe they're pretty good. And as to whether they believe they really, really know what they're doing, I think they know they could be doing a good bit better. I don't, I don't, they're not going to say that. Um, I think they they deep down know, hey, you know, we are pretty good, which they are, uh, and yet, you know, to get them to say, but boy, we could be a whole lot better, or boy, we don't, you know, they're they're probably not going to say that, but uh, but I I do think there is a sense of really of well being uh, about this USC team, and you know, it's it's fostered by the coaches. I mean, the coaches. You know, you don't hear a lot of discouraging words uh, said. And this is an atmosphere of, uh, you know, pat everybody on the back and everybody gets a participation trophy a little bit. There's still some of that kind of, you know, sense of uh, it's not all about, you know, you know being tough competitors and, and what have you. And uh, maybe you'd like to see more of that. I would, uh, but that's just not where they are. That's not who they are. They're they're just kind of, you know, happy to happy to be going along and being, you know, at USC. And uh, everything's, you know, even in, you know the the couple of losses this year, it was always things are going to get better. We're gonna, we're we're going to be fine. We got we've got time to, you know, make this work and all that. And they do, obviously. I mean. One thing you could always feel good about is, hey, we're in the Pac-12 South. Thank God. You know, I mean, that would put a smile on anybody's face. Now, the the downside is you better win, you know, the Pac-12 South. I mean, you've got the you know, the advantage of being in the, you know, least competitive 
division in, in Power Five football, but uh, but they do feel pretty good about themselves, and whether that's uh, you know justified or not, you know I mean you'll see guys make plays, and you think man that kid really is talented, and then you'll see them you know ball go through their hands or they won't get off the line of scrimmage, and you think man what's going on there? Uh, there's not a consistency, although I thought the defense played with a consistency and an urgency that we haven't seen uh, before, uh, again, until, until the fourth quarter. But, uh, but the offense, uh, sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not. And I don't know if we should expect anything different. Uh, in the same line of coaching, we have a question from David in Newport Beach who says, do you think uh, Coach Helton has the ability to pay attention to the details? You know, that was interesting. That was two years ago when they made the big change from uh, my, uh, Max Brown to Sam Darnold and the change in practice, turned the music off and all that. That was the theme is we are going to pay attention to details. Details really matter. We're going to be fundamentally sound. We're going to do all the details right. This was the the big change uh, again, almost you know a little over two years ago, and uh, and and you do think there are some issues about you know like the you know the uh, shotgun snaps. Uh, those are details that really matter. Uh, obviously, having you know two receivers twice run into one another. Those are details that matter. Having a, a, a tackle twice, you know, on the edge, I mean, once all he did, had to do was stand there and, you know, the play goes for really positive yards and he grabs the guy by the belt and throws him down like, ah, you know, like he's in, a, you know, World Wrestling Federation or whatever. You can't, you know, stuff like that, those are details that you just can't get wrong. And, uh, I mean, a lot of what, what's holding up this offense are details. Just one little detail or another, you know, the penalties. I mean, the 31 penalties in, in, in two games. Um, penalties, I think, are really are details. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to categorize them uh, into all the different categories, but they're details, and they really matter. And USC, I think, now is 127th, 126th out of 129 in penalties. I mean, that's unacceptable. Almost 10 penalties a game. Unacceptable. And details or not, those matter a lot. And uh, yes, it's it's got to get better. And I'm not sure we always see that uh, in terms of corrections and, you know, stopping practice and saying, nope, that's not acceptable, or we're going to do this till we get it right. Uh, We're not moving on to the next play. You know, you're going to, you know, if you can't get it right here, why would we expect you to get it right in the game? So, so yeah, details, are, that's a good question. Uh, don't, don't see the same emphasis on details that two years ago uh, you saw. Now, to be fair, USC did cut down uh, the number of penalties by 28% from Arizona to Colorado from 18 to 13. So that's, that's you know, there's some progress there. But what are those details, Dan? It would, you know, if receivers are out running a pattern, maybe they shouldn't run into each other. That's a detail. Uh, we <laughs> have a we have a question on that. I'll play it for you. Hey, Ryan, this is Jake. I'm from Mama. Sorry for the last message. I need either you, Coach, um, Dan, someone, please explain to me. I was watching a game, 
and I just can't understand our passing concepts for our passing routes. It feels like all game, only thing we were doing were running one dig route or all verticals. With the type of receivers we have, why do we just rely on the vertical passing game? Every other team we play, they use different concepts underneath routes to get kids to get receivers open. Why are we just constantly using vertical routes? Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, it certainly looked like what they were ready, you know, during the week to do. I mean, that was, a, and I don't think they made a bad judgment that that's what, you know, Colorado uh, was vulnerable. And uh, of all the bad trends with USC and the Pac-12 officials and penalties, the one good trend is they have the Pac-12 officials aware of they're probably – a mismatch. Uh, so often there's going to be a mismatch in the secondary between USC's receivers and the people trying to defend them, and there will be holding or there will be pass interference, and USC will probably get that call. Uh, everything else about penalties in the Pac-12 is probably negative for USC except for pass interference uh, on uh, on the USC wide receivers. Uh, so. I think at times you just take advantage of that as well and knowing that they're probably going to grab you. And, uh, and if it's a, even if it's an even up call because USC did the same thing at the other end. Um, uh, so I think they may tend to go to that somewhat, uh, just because they're going to get a call or two there, but yeah, you would like to see, uh, you'd like to see Amon Ra on some underneath crossing patterns and things like that. You'd like to see combination pattern, where guys don't run into one another. I mean, you know, where they actually get off the line of scrimmage, put pressure on the secondary, and make sharp cuts. And, and you know, one guy's you know, goes slow and a little bit, you know, sloppy, and the other guy, you know, rounds his cut off, and they end up in the same spot. Okay, that obviously you haven't run that pattern enough in practice, and you haven't run it under pressure enough. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, in, in, in terms of what we see as the issues with this team, guys running into one another, uh, running patterns is you know, perfectly exemplifies, uh, you know, the issues. Uh, and, and, and it's easy to focus on JT, but what do you do when you've got receivers running into one another? I mean, who do you throw the ball to? I mean, that's not making life easy for your 18 year old quarterback. We have a question from John Stewart who says, I've heard Dan say that the offensive line cannot run block. Then maybe we should forget balance and just go with what works. After watching the Colorado game, I really think he's onto something. Despite, in my opinion, having an uber talented running back like Stephen Carr, we should just go with what works. The offensive line gave up one sack, which I feel was a coverage sack as JT held onto the ball too long. Also, the holding penalties all seem to be on runs and not on passes. Being a running back in my playing days, it pains me to say it, but an 80-20 pass-to-run ratio seems like the way to go for this team. Yeah, it's 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 what I've been, you know, thinking all year that that this is not a run-first team because they do not have people that can run first block. I mean, that's just not something that this offensive line does. But physically, you know, just because of their experience and their physical skill set and what have you, they are more geared to be in a, you know, a, <clears throat> a pass blocking team. Uh, the, the running backs pass block pretty well. Uh, and the tight ends don't, uh, although somebody said, I guess the PFF stats had them 
not terrible pass blockers this last game, but makes you wonder, wait a minute, the best thing your tight ends do is pass block? What? Who Who needs a tight end if they're – the thing you're going to do is keep them in the pass block. I mean, if, if they don't catch the ball and they can't run block, I'm not sure they need to be on the field. So, you know, do you put another wide receiver on and, 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 and go with four and just say, here we come, we're going to throw the ball. And you, I mean, it, you know, you wonder if it, everybody remembers that Michigan Rose Bowl game where, uh, to his credit, Lane Kiffin talked Pete into, I mean, they were stumbling around in the first half and couldn't run the ball against Michigan's defense. And, and Lane convinced Clay to just come out and throw it every time in the second half. And they just, you know, blitzed Michigan, who, you know, coming out of the Big Ten, they weren't great pass defenders to begin with. And, uh, and I guess it was John David Booty. And, and just threw the heck out, you know, I think threw everything but maybe two runs, something like that in the second half. And you do wonder if this team is getting to the point. I mean, you're playing one of the best run defenses in the country this week, okay? Colorado wasn't, but Utah is. And, you know, if Colorado did what they did to the USC's run game, I mean, what what are the prospects running the ball against Utah? Although, if you throw it and throw it and throw it and throw it, that's when you can pop, you know, a running back loose because you've got them so concerned with getting to the quarterback or dropping back in coverage <clears throat> that you do open up some natural seams and gaps and, and what have you. But, uh, but I know it's hard for USC to admit, no, we can't run the ball. No, we can't run block. Uh, you, know, that's, you know, that's a little slap at USC's pride uh, to say, you know, yeah, we're going to look like Texas Tech. Uh, but, you know, there may be times when you just say, that's what we're going to do because we do it well. We've got mismatches there, and we don't think you can, you know, defend uh, the pass. Uh, our pass game, we don't think you can defend it as well as the run game. And so you go that direction. I mean, if, if USC's ever going to do it, this is the week to do it. Uh, but, but I'm very much leaning that way. I mean, you just, it's like trying to, you know, a pound a you know square peg into a round hole with USC's uh, offensive line. They just don't run block that well, and it's just it's not like we have to prove that. They prove it pretty much every week, and uh, so you know just turn them loose and 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 you know practice throwing the ball and throwing the ball and throwing the ball and get that you know precision down and get that so that you don't have guys running into one another on patterns. But uh, but that'd be the direction I'd go with this team's personnel. We have a question from John in Brea who says, in the past few years, I've been frustrated, upset, and completely confused by this coaching staff. Surprisingly, this is the first time I've been literally angry at them. After how they botched handling Port Augustine last year, how could they do the same thing again this year and then leave him on the field to fend for himself after the game? Can a coaching staff be fired for negligence? You know, I think it's a hard deal with Porter. If the game's, you know, up to 11 points, but they, you know, you, you miss the, uh, uh, onside kick and what have you. And everybody's still thinking about the Arizona game. It would probably be really hard to convince Porter not to go out there. Now you had to be, you would have to be ahead of the game to be thinking we're not sending him out there. And they weren't, obviously. 
and 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 Porter certainly not want, you know want wants to be watching the end of the game, uh, you know, from the sideline. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it would have been good if they hadn't allowed uh, Colorado get to get as close as they did and hadn't, you know, kind of curled up into a ball on defense at the end. Uh, because at least they, it, it, you know, in the last offensive series, they were able to get all the backups in. Uh, would have been nice if they would have been able to do that on defense a little bit earlier. And, again, as is the pattern for, you know, this team the last few years, they just don't put anybody away. And, you know, you don't want to blame anybody uh, uh, for for what happened to Porter. You know, that's football. And if you're out on the field, you might get hurt. But, uh, but you know, and, and looking at the big picture, that game shouldn't have been – 31 to 20 at that time and he shouldn't have been out there but uh i don't know how there was a situation since that was the case that you you don't have him out there you know you'd have had to been a genius to and and probably i mean i guess the one thing you could have said is porter hey you've got you know you've been out here for 79 plays already uh we don't need you to go anymore but uh, I don't know that I see that kind of thinking on the on the USC sideline that people were, you know, they're thrilled to death when they get 11 people on the field on a lot of special teams plays. So, you know, hey Dan, so that kind with, of a, with that, though, with Porter, we talked about this on the live show a little bit that it was an ankle, you know, a fracture in his ankle. He had the. What was it called? A contusion? No, what a contusion? It was impingement. Impingement. He impingement. had before. I mean, if it's the same thing, if it's a, if it's basically related, it's fractured where the impingement and stuff was, and he'd been playing that much, and you subbed in other places. Like at, at that point too, don't you think they could have taken him out? Even they shouldn't have been that close, so he shouldn't have been out because of the game. But you know, I don't know. It just seemed like at that point, like you know, he's been in all game. Maybe just get him out of there. Yeah, I mean, I think he could have been rested earlier in the game as well. I mean, I don't think he had to be in there basically every series, and. uh you know, they've got some pretty good outside, you know, edge people. I mean, uh, you know, Hunter Eccles and, and um, uh, you know, Jordan Yosefa can play over there and Kimiano uh, uh, Falonico and, uh, you know, and Christian Rector has been playing more on the outside. I just think, you know, he it's, it's probably easy, you know, to let Porter stay out there. He wants to be out there so badly. He doesn't want to ever come off the field. But I do think maybe, you know, in terms of the game plan, you know, you've got a kid with both an ankle and a knee, you know, a knee on, on the left side and an ankle on the right side. And you probably got to be thinking those thoughts of how are we going to get some, you know, plays off for him. And maybe you get more plays off during the game. Uh, he can go back out there, you know, in the last two and a half minutes and, and maybe be a little fresher, a little bit more able to, you know, not get his ankle, you know, caught, uh, with a couple of blockers, that kind of thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's easy to second guess and, and, and you don't want to get too specific in terms of second guessing, but you really would probably like to have a game plan that says we're only going to have Porter out there, you know, for this many plays. And, uh, and, and he looked like he might've been out there for more plays than, than you would like to have seen. What do you make about the 
training staff kind of abandoning Porter. I don't know if that yeah. was a communication error or whatnot. Um, I don't know if you watched the live show, Dan, but I was, I said that I was talking to people in Porter's camp and Porter actually had to be carried by his dad and his high school coach to the top of the locker, uh, the top of the tunnel. And then he was carted up and they basically said like they were just devastated to see Porter like that and kind of stranded. And, and Porter was obviously devastated by the injury. So what do you make of that? Is that just a, pretty bad communication error or how does that happen it's a bad error i i was standing you know i i wanted to hear i watched porter limp out to talk to bruce feldman on uh on fox uh, after the game and then everybody leaves and so i'm standing next to him and i said can you walk from he's holding his sock and his shoe and standing on one foot and i said can you leave can you walk out of here and he said no i said do you need a boot uh, some crutches or, or a cart. And he said, I think a cart. So I'm looking around and literally couldn't find a single representative of the training staff, but not a student trainer, not a trainer, nobody. So he stayed, Porter standing there and people were coming up and he can't go anywhere. So he's getting, they're taking their, can we take our picture with you? You know, and families are standing around and they're taking pictures. So I'm walking around trying to find somebody, you know, and, nobody okay so then i come back and by that time his parents were there and uh so they were sort of protecting him <laughs> and standing next to him and so i went up to the tunnel and found the uh athletic medicine uh cart and, and with one of the students driving it and i said you gotta get out to to get you know porter and it looked like she was going out there uh, to get him, but I guess by that time they had they had started carrying him to the cart. But uh, it took way too much time to to recognize. I would not have let him. There would have been one trainer uh, assigned to Porter. I mean, somebody he shouldn't not have been. Now I, I understand they probably didn't want him to you know go out and do the interview, uh, but once he did there needed to be uh, a training staff person with him. Uh, they just, you just, there's just no way around that. And, and I know I, I was, uh, uh, you know, spent some years also doing it as a trainer uh, in college. So I'm immediately aware of, you got this guy out here who can't, who can't go anywhere. What's going to happen here? And, I, I don't know why there wasn't someone from USC asking that question. Uh, it shouldn't probably be the media people or the family that have to figure out how to get him to the locker room. Uh, that was, that was not good. Yeah, I agree. George from Oxnard sent us a text and he says, lots of fans, inclu- myself included, have been complaining about the consistent errant snaps. You mentioned how much easier it is for JT in practice when he receives good snaps. Has this played out? that way in games i'm wondering what the data shows maybe shotgun can chart it depending on the results we may have uh we may have end up complaining less or could go the other way and make our heads expose thanks you guys and fight on yeah there seems to be a difference of opinion about the reality of what's going on uh i asked clay uh, sunday night about it and he said it was just three or four uh snaps uh i don't think anybody believes that i'm not sure if clay believes that uh he said they have made progress. There were no high snaps, no snaps over anybody's head, and no offline snaps. And that's correct. All the snaps appeared to be online. But 
you know, they're low and they're slow. Too many are low and slow. I, I would say it's closer to 20 than three to four. Um, and to me, anything below the belt is low. Uh, as Clay ad- admitted, you know, Sunday night, you really want it from the belt to the numbers. And uh, you want it that way because you do not want your quarterback to have to take his eye off the uh, defense and off the, you know, the immediate, uh, you know, after the ball is snapped, you see what the defense really is going to do if they've been trying to, you know, camouflage what, what they're doing. And you see, you know, who gets what kind of a break in terms of your receivers and all that. And uh, I know JT at times has tried to keep his head up and get the ball on a low snap. And, and a couple of times this year, that's, you know, resulted in a loose ball. So I think now JT basically realizes, hey, I got to keep my eye on the ball. That means he's got to, you know, turn his head down, and he's got to, you know, kind of lean over to grab it. Well, those that takes time, and and then he's got to come back up and reorient himself. And one of the things I think it's done is it's taken away his. One of the things he does best was that quick slant where he just threw the ball to, uh, from the nine-yard line to uh, Michael Pittman for the touchdown, that catch-and-throw. And he's really good at that. But you can't do that if you have to go down and get the ball, take your eyes off you know, the uh, developing play, and then you got to come back up. Uh, not only does it take time, but it takes you know finding everybody and making sure that you've got enough room to get that ball in there on a quick slant over the middle. And uh, I just think it's really handicapping JT and uh, I think taking away one of the things he does so well. I don't think we've seen as many, uh, you know, the, of the kind of quick slants across the middle that, uh, and a lot of those, I think originally were going to Almond Raw. We're just not seeing that as much. And, uh, I think the slants, uh, make it, I mean, the, the, the snaps make that difficult because JT has learned that, Nope. I got to keep my eye on the ball. I got to stop the slap first and then get myself back up and figure out what's going on. And that's just unacceptable. I mean, because he's got such a skill set in terms of his ability to see the field and see how plays are developing and to take that away. However many times you do with low and slow snaps is, uh, it's just wrong. It's unfair to the USC offense. It's unfair to JT. Um, and it's got, and I, I, you know, it just, this shouldn't be happening, uh, especially this time of year. Uh, you shouldn't have one of those a game. And, uh, and they're certainly having a lot more than that. David Eisen has an interesting question. He says, why are Peristyle members so relentlessly negative? It seems to me that a significant majority of those who post get no joy at all out of USC football. Indeed, they seem to love spreading misery. I get that many don't feel like Clay should have been selected as the head coach, but he is the head coach and he has been moderately successful. Why not root for the team, enjoy the games, revel in college football until the season is over, and then if you think changes need to be made, discuss it after the season. As just one example, check out today's Do We Beat UCLA thread. Just a bunch of tormented P members saying how much we're terrible and UCLA will crush us. Is there anybody left who just wants to support the team? Yeah, I think that, yeah, uh, that's a good example, the do we beat UCLA thread. I mean, I know people are trying to get out ahead of everything, and the more negative you can be, you know, the more, you know, sky, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, uh, you know, that's the thing that draws attention and what have you. I'd be embarrassed to do that because you can't possibly, 
uh, know how the how UCLA is going to develop, how USC is going to develop, uh, and to even be talking about that, it, it just seems like you're just trying to draw attention to yourself and 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 not being serious. I mean, I, one thing that surprised me is is the overwhelming sense that USC doesn't even need to show up in Salt Lake City this weekend. That, that there's just just no way that, that USC you know, has a shot in Salt Lake City. And, you know, I don't know how it's going to go. But, uh, you know, the last two times, uh, people said, well, uh, you know, they lost the last two times they were there. And they should have won both games. You know, they lost in, 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 in ways in which uh, things should not have happened the way they did. Now, obviously, Utah probably should have won last year at the Coliseum. But to act like there's just no reason to even show up. I saw what they did to you know, Stanford and, you know, we know what we did to Stanford, you know, and there's just, I just don't, I don't understand that, that, that way of thinking. I mean, it's, it's not as easy to make a post that says on the one hand, uh, on the other hand, that's just, you know, nobody wants to hear that. So uh, it's hard to walk that kind of fine line between, well, we did some really good things and we did some really not so good things. And I don't know how this is all going to play out. That's not the way people post. So you get the people, and there are an awful lot of people who I end up talking to that say, you know, I'm, I'm on the P. I never post, but I like to read all the stuff. The, the guys who are like that, I think, are by far the majority, but um, they're not the ones that are posting. I mean, the guys that are posting are posting to, uh, to get people to pay attention, and you don't get that unless you, you know, headline it something like are we even you know going to beat ucla and that'll get people to read it but uh that's i think that's what people don't understand dan is that the posters on the site a lot of them feel that they are the that's the whole board and it's really like less than 10 percent. like they're more majority everyone you talk to i read i don't post i read i don't post so and even just seeing my sister come into the game this past weekend she used to come a lot when she was at the university of san diego she'd drive up with me there are a lot of people that just like to go to games and tailgate and have fun. They couldn't, like my sister couldn't tell you who the quarterback is or anything. They're just fans and they want to go have a good time. The problem is if you're on our site, you're informed about everything that's going on. You know, everything at practice, you know, the recruiting aspects, there's a lot there. And so if you see, if you have concerns and you see problems, it's something to be talked about. So I get it, but we see it on social media too. You see it everywhere. There's just a lot of negativity and the people on social media they're not they're not as informed usually as the people on the peristyle so they they know more but man it's even i think it's even worse like on twitter and stuff is people just complain and they don't even they don't know anything of what's going on well i think also the issue is that if you happen to have a positive take you're a little reluctant to say it on the board because you know those doom and gloomers are going to come after you a yeah. little bit you know it's it's creates this weird environment where people aren't really sure what to do I try to encourage that too. I'm like, look, it's fine. If there's someone that's just like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not super happy that they don't tackle and practice or whatever, but I'm going to go support the team. There is nothing wrong with that. Like yeah. you can be a sunshine pumper, pump away. If you feel like it's, if you're ignoring or whatever, like what people feel are problems, like that's fine. And if you're a doom and gloomer and you, I mean, just don't hate the person that just wants to go support the team. That's fine. You know, it's, it's either way is fine. I just don't like it when they go after each other. And I don't want to discourage sunshine puppers or whoever's winning at the time. Whoever's losing doesn't want to post because more people are posting from the other side. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was really interesting this week, the Colorado, you know, just that little interaction with the, all those Colorado people 
who they didn't necessarily want to totally disagree with what I said. They just didn't want to like me because I was the arrogant SOB from USC. Hey, you people think you're better than everybody else. Blah, 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 blah. It was all kind of ad hominem, personal, you know, stuff. And that, uh, uh, talking about the P, that's what you don't need. I mean, you may not, one guy may not agree with you, or he may not, he may have got something wrong last week or whatever, but just talk about the issue and, and not, you know, go after people who you don't know at all. I mean, you have no idea. Uh, I mean, you know, for example, the Colorado people, if they would have wanted to know, I love the way they were playing. I love the job McIntyre's done with the, you know, the, the talent he has. Uh, I think Schnaltz is as good as there is in the country. Um, you know, and, and as far as like, well, they all look down on, no, I think, uh, Folsom Field is as good a place to go watch a college football game as there is in the country. I mean, it's a, you know, you love being on, on their campus and feel nothing but good things about, about Colorado. But, uh, hey, I think Ralphie's by far the best mascot in the country. You know, all that kind of stuff. They don't want to hear that. They're just mad at you because you're saying USC with 52 four- and five-star players has a better roster than Colorado with six four- and five-star players, or no five-stars, six four-star players. And you say things like, this game is going to be decided by USC. Either they show up and play and they win, or they really don't show up and give Colorado a chance. But this won't be decided by Colorado. And they just don't want to hear that. And that's fine. But they, the guy who says that is trying to tell you what he really believes so you understand how this may go. And he's not a bad guy for saying that. That's the thing. And, and the same way with the P. Guys you disagree with aren't bad guys. They're just, they just see it differently. Yep. We have a question from Nick from Cyprus who says, the question is simple. Can you guys give me two to three standout players on defense and offense? The game had a weird start. Uh, penalties are not looking good, but this has to be USC's best performance to date, beating an unbeaten top 20 Colorado Buffs. I hope this podcast is semi-positive. No more fire, fire Clay Helton questions until the end of no, November, please, guys. I've avoided those so far. Yeah. <laughs> good they're, job, they're Nick. There, okay. But they're Very there. Good. They're there. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect job there. Um, yeah, I think uh, I loved the way Jenny Harris played uh, Saturday. I just uh, I could not. Um, he had a bounce and he was flying around and he took the challenge of playing against Lavisca Chenault and uh, and uh, just everything he did. Uh, uh, but I think you know I think you're talking a dozen guys on defense. I mean everybody everywhere you look, guys were flying around and uh, and I mean you know they. Colorado tried to run a trick play, and USC had two or three people waiting for uh, Chenault on the on the reverse. I mean, that was that was really impressive. Uh, I just thought, you know, defensively, uh, just obviously great, and then offensively, obviously, you got you know Michael Pittman. Just uh, and again, you wish he was probably targeted a little bit more uh, over the whole game, and you and you think probably thirty four passes. Uh, wasn't enough uh, uh, against uh, against Colorado the way things were going, but uh, but I thought Tyler Vaughn's had some good series. I'd like to see him put that together every play uh, and, and really you know really go after people. Um, and, and the offensive line, the pass blocking was was just excellent. And 
we got to give them credit where credit's due. And, you know, the other side of that coin is the run blocking just, you know, isn't there. But, um, uh, but, but I thought I, I would say that was the defense's day. I mean, just the fact that, you know, those first two interceptions didn't turn out to be any, you know, problem for USC, uh, thanks to the defense. That gives, you know, a team kind of a sense of, okay, it's going to be all right. We're going to be fine here. But you needed the defense to step up immediately and shut Colorado down. And, uh, and they certainly did that. And you needed them to be able to, uh, you know, speed uh, Steven Montez up and get him off his spots. And they did that just beautifully. Um, he just didn't want to be playing as fast as, as the USC defense was going to make him play. And uh, so that was, you know, as good a game plan as, uh, as we're going to see from Clancy. I thought he just, uh, he really had um, Colorado in his sights and, uh, and they, they didn't seem to be able to figure out a way out of it. And uh, that's what you want, you know, from your, your defense coordinator. Uh, Jaron Albuquerque wants to know uh, what happened to Jordan Isefa. He wonders if he's hurt. Jordan isn't hurt. Uh, but why haven't we heard a lot about him this season? I think there have been some, maybe some consistency issues, and I know it probably isn't that easy to to be going from inside to outside, which he has done um, some of. Uh, and I, I think some of it is some of those other guys are just playing really well. I mean, they're you know they're they're getting you know some things from some of the you know younger guys who um, you know uh, you know Hunter Eccles and. And people like that, that uh, I think they're just, uh, and, and now with uh, EA uh, inside, and, and John Houston is playing well. And so I think he's, he's kind of the, you know, the uh, utility guy, uh, uh, Jordan is. But, um, but I think it's, it's as much uh, the way the other guys, both inside and out, are playing, that uh, maybe there isn't quite the, uh, you know, the place to, to give him as many plays as maybe we thought he was going to get. Uh, we got one voicemail question left for you, Dan, and then we'll probably wrap things up. Here you go. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Dan. It's Joan, formerly of Idaho. How are you guys? Um, I was just noticing that uh, we have three teams in the Pac-12 that are now ranked. Um and number 12, Oregon, number 15, Washington, and number 25, WSU. And obviously we are not ranked yet, but um, could you guys comment on that? There is no one from the Pac-12 South, obviously not us, and WSU is ranked ahead of us. Why do you think that is? And um, love to hear your thoughts. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, I think it's interesting that, uh, I mean, I guess Colorado's, Probably still. I guess I didn't check with exactly uh, the numbers on the also rans, but uh, but I thought it was interesting last week. USC came into the game with zero points in both the AP and the uh, uh, coaches polls, and uh, Colorado had 832 points, and they were 19th in, in AP and 18th in the coaches. So I think the rankings don't mean much. Probably it's a function to some extent of playing three straight late games uh, where people, I'm not even sure if they have any idea who won the USC game. Uh, then USC this week, you know, playing a good opponent 
and they'll end up, uh, you know, but but not a ranked opponent, and they'll end up uh, on the Pac-12 network uh, with a decent starting time, I guess, eight o'clock on the East Coast, but uh, won't matter because nobody will see it because it's a Pac-12 network game. Uh, yeah, it's not easy uh, when when nobody pays attention, and when you lose two of your first three, even if you're on the road and you know you're, you know you're playing respectable opponents uh, you know or i mean the fact that i think the texas game you're up 14 to 3 and you give up 34 straight basically told everybody this is not a team worth uh, paying much attention to and so i think they've moved on uh, from usc uh do most of them know that usc beat washington state nah and washington state's gonna get game day this week uh, and good for them but uh um I just think if you're in the uh, you're in the uh, Pac-12 South, you pretty much need to be unbeaten, which means you probably got to play Colorado's schedule, and USC is not going to do that. Uh, as somebody said, and, and they made a good point: had USC come into the last Saturday's game having played Colorado's schedule, they would have been five and zero, and then they would have beaten Colorado. They'd be six and zero. There are people who say. A 6-0 USC team, no matter who they played, would be maybe fifth in the country right now. And that might be true. Had they picked up, you know, Colorado's schedule and beat them to go 6-0 Saturday, would USC be in the top five? Maybe. Would that make them any better, you know, than they are? Not necessarily. But uh, so I wouldn't pay a lot of attention to the polls at this point because I do think – uh, both Colorado and uh, and uh, Washington State are still getting more points, uh, you know, in the polls than USC is. And, uh, that obviously doesn't make much sense. Yeah, that's. I mean, the whole so it's a conference perception. Uh, I mean, it's been something that's been going on for years. Uh, John Wilner did an in- interesting piece today, looking at because no one's undefeated looking at the potential one-loss Pac-12 teams, could they make the college football playoff? He essentially said no, unless there was absolute chaos. Because it's, you look at the high-profile game, now the best win, now now the Michigan State, you know, uh, they beat, uh, who'd they beat, Penn State or something? Um, You know, Arizona State's win against Michigan State looks pretty good, but it's not like they're a good team. USC getting, you know, trounced by Texas. Uh, Auburn looks terrible. They might not make a bowl game. So Washington losing to Auburn, who's going to be a middle of the road SEC team. That's not How a bad good is look. Auburn. How bad is Auburn? They lost, they to, lost Tennessee. to Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee hadn't won a, a SEC not game. Sad. Yeah. Like 10, two years, they hadn't won a, a conference game and Auburn lost to them. So now people aren't even sure if they're going to make a bowl game. So Washington loses to them, uh, Oregon potentially, but then they end up, Losing to Stanford, who looks pretty bad, and they got trounced by Stanford, I mean by uh, Notre Dame. And so the only chance the conference has is USC beating Notre Dame at the end and a lot of chaos. So I think that's the perception. Oregon's the highest ranked team. They're all packed off North teams that are ranked. There's four SEC teams ranked ahead of Oregon right now. And you, you know, a Georgia team who hadn't beaten anybody gets crushed by LSU. They don't drop out of the top 10. So a lot of it's the perception where you've been. I think. The way the Pac-12 teams have performed, you got the bowl performances, one and eight in bowl games, all of that just kind of uh, cascades down to where you are now. You're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. You'd have to be undefeated with a good schedule 
And there's no teams like that in the Pac-12. So that's that's what you you reap what you sow, and that's what the Pac-12 is getting. Yeah, I mean, you know, they stuck with the nine-game schedule. So you're often, you know, you're, every other year you got four home games and five road games. Uh, you know, you got all the things that you know work against you in the Pac-12, and uh, and they don't do anything to help you. I mean, obviously, you look at how. Alabama is going to play somebody like the Citadel before they play uh, LSU or LS, you know, or, or, or you know, they get, you know, they get their bye weeks, uh, you know, later in the season and all. They do everything to try to, you know, help. Uh, you know, Alabama and Georgia don't play one another for like 20 years. It's not like they're like next door to one another, but uh, you know, so they end up playing one another in the, you know, conference championship game, or, uh, you know. Uh, they don't they don't stop one another you know I, for example if somebody beats mississippi state this week they'll get a big boost it's like wow they beat mississippi state it's like you know there, there's like you said it's all perception it's so much uh so much perception and uh back 12 perception is really bad yeah. really negative and a lot of it is self-inflicted oh, a lot of it are, of it. most of it most, uh, much I mean, the of officiating it is. stuff that they don't do anything about it. They're like, we're not going to do this again. Like, that's your solution. Not fire the guy that made the calls that were like, hey, why is it some executive changing calls in a game? And and you look at the SEC's language, like it's very clear in the SEC what the process is. Hey, you can't have an outside. They say that specifically. You can't have an outside thing. They, they take things more seriously. They're doing things to try to win national championships. The Pac-12 is trying to just... They think they're I mean, the smartest people in the room, and they are certainly not. They don't take advice from anyone else, and they just continually screw up. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of um, similarities. As much as USC doesn't much like being in the being in the Pac-12, there's an awful lot of similarities to how both of them do their jobs, uh, where they don't listen to people from the outside. But to be honest, now that you know you've got basically uh, you know legal gambling on all of these games. The fact that somebody who's outside the chain of command is able to call in and change a play. I mean, where, does, where do people start saying, wait a minute, are, are we talking about throwing a game here or fixing a game? I mean, players shaving are going to points, jail. Just shaving for points. For shaving points. Yeah. I mean, come on. Is that, that's not, that may not even be legal. I mean, that may be, uh, you know, the kind of thing if you had the wrong prosecutor and you know, in the, in the state of California, for example, might want to call the Pac-12 up and say, we'd like to talk to these people. That looks a little bit suspicious. I mean, if players had done that, you can bet somebody would be asking about it. Yeah. And the Pac-12 didn't even know that was a problem. It's like Larry <laughs> Scott last year at the uh, Ryan's question when I went down to the press conference. And, and and we asked Larry, you know, there were a couple of questions that Larry didn't even understand. He didn't realize that if you played a Saturday, uh, a Saturday game the week before um, and then he had to go on the road the next week and play a Friday game, he didn't realize everybody that did that lost. <laughs> All the favorites lost. It, it didn't matter. He said, man, nobody told us. We didn't, we didn't, he's only getting paid four and a half million a year. No. Nobody told us that that would be a problem. He literally, that was his answer. Nobody told us that that would be a problem. Okay, now we realize it. Are you kidding me? Think about that. I mean, it's like, 
And even Washington now, like, you know, your your Pac-12 favorite, the team that could potentially make the college football playoff that, you, you know, and the drought, you let them go on the road against a, a rival after, you know, on their, after their bye week, you know, a two, two road games in a row for the, the conference champion, which that doesn't even happen in the SEC. Oh, and the team you're playing is your bitter rival who you've put up like 70 points on a couple of years ago. They're pissed off. They have a bye week heading into your game. Like that, that would not happen in the SEC. You know, another thing this week, for example, for USC, uh, Utah played on Friday. So they've got an extra day. Oh, wait, USC has to travel this week. So that takes kind of takes another day away. So now Utah is sitting there getting a chance to, you know, sit at home on Saturday, watch USC play, and knowing they've got an extra day to get ready, and then that USC is going to have to be traveling. Uh, that's just the kind of unfairness that probably doesn't ha- happen in other places. One reason they don't play Friday games. The second reason they don't let any of their good teams play Friday games. And uh, it's, uh, again, that's not fair uh, to USC. They shouldn't, at the worst, the team that has the extra day probably ought to be the team that has to travel instead of the team with the shorter week also does the travel. Uh, just, it's, it's just, it's badly done. The, the, uh, the Pac-12 just executes Almost everything that could be done to showcase the league, they get it wrong. They go opposite. And, uh, and the nine-game schedule probably has to go. Uh, and I know the only reason they do it is because all the teams in the Pac-12 want to be in Los Angeles every year because that's where they recruit. So in order to give you know, the bottom teams a chance to be in Los Angeles, um, you know, the teams that think they've got a chance to – maybe went out and get the get to the playoffs have a much more difficult way to go uh because they have a nine game conference schedule i guess we're going to wrap it up uh keely looks a little tired over there i don't know you, you all right it's, your, your thoughts it's frustration and tired uh, a combination of the both but it's frustration just listening to what you guys are talking about with the pac-12 and larry scott it's just it's ridiculous and it's hard because you so who people ask me all the time you know, who can fire him? He basically, he worked for the presidents of the university. I think there's been some, I, I think the tide is changing and there's more presidents that were, that aren't around that didn't bring him in, uh, you know, and less people that support him. But you have a place like USC who's made changes before. I haven't seen him do it lately. There's no president in place. So, I mean, there's, there's even less, uh, you know, ways for him to be held accountable because you have a place like USC that doesn't even have a president right now. They have their own uh, leadership void. So it's, uh, I, I just don't know what's going to happen. Um, I don't think anything time soon, but at least you're kind of getting there. The more screw ups, maybe you get closer and closer to replacing them. Yeah. I think it's reaching, reaching critical mass with the PAC 12. I mean, once you get to this, uh, place where you are the butt of jokes, you are the, you know, the only thing people think about you is ridicule. Um, that's kind of hard to answer. I mean, when people are making fun of you, uh, if you're a Pac-12 president and all people in your circle say to you are, what the hell's going on with the conference? What, what about, you know, this or what about that? I think that probably is more effective in getting something done than anything. And right now you wouldn't think anybody, if you're a Pac-12 president and the subject, I mean, excuse me, yeah, if you're one of the school presidents and the subject of the Pac-12 comes up, 
you're not hearing any good things from anybody at all, from any of your kids or anybody. Nobody is saying something good about what's going on. And that may motivate them to act more than anything we can think of. Maybe we should schedule like a, a nationwide university president golf tournament. <laughs> and so like, you know, whoever, you know, the presidents of all the different schools are playing with like a president from like Auburn or a president from Ohio state. And the guys are just getting made fun of the whole time. Like, Hey, how's that PAC 12 thing going for you? You know? And that, that would, I think maybe that would uh, push things along a little bit. I think without a doubt. And it's one of the reasons to have a, maybe a, a, and we don't know all the candidates and all that for USC, but you got to take an awful, awful good look at the President Shapiro of Northwestern, who was at, a, at USC a good while and understood what went well with Pete Carroll being there and comes from a conference, a private school, a really good private school, but not at the same quite level in terms of size and impact as USC, but knows what they've done right in the Big Ten and understands what you can do right if, you, if you're smart about it and uh, might be a, a rooting interest in, uh, in getting somebody like that at USC who could hit the ground running a little bit. And, and when they sat down with the rest of the presidents of the Pac-12, could ask some questions about, well, this is what we're doing in the Big Ten. That's why we're making $20 million per school more. Uh, from our TV deals than, than you guys are. Why don't we, you know, figure out what we have to do right here? And, uh, you know, so I'm kind of, uh, uh, you know, rooting for, rooting for the Northwestern guy uh, from everything we know of what he's done there and, and what his background would be. I just think you need people like that at the Pac-12 who know what the rest of the world is like. Yeah. And, <laughs> We're secluded yeah. out here. There's the, you know, like people, someone asked uh, yesterday on the podcast of champions, like would the, if they go to four super conferences, was the PAC 12 go away? And I said, no, because it's like, we're secluded here on the West coast. And there's, you know, there's disadvantages of that, but there's also advantages that it's so far away. It would be more likely that the big 12 gets, you know, pilfered and you send a few of those schools here, but they're kind of like entrenched uh, out here, but you need some outside influence. Like they, that they, they aren't, seeing and drinking this Kool-Aid about what's going on in the Pac-12. You bring someone in from the SEC or the Big Ten and they go, whoa, 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 what are you guys doing? No. Like you that's what you need. That's why you need people from the outside sometimes. When when USC hires from within all the time, no one's coming in and going, why are you doing this? Because they came from that environment. You get someone from an outside environment and then they can come in and go, whoa, you guys are doing this all wrong. Hold on. And I don't think sometimes they don't want to hear that. Like if you don't want to go to the dentist because you think you have a cavity, you're like, I don't want to go to the dentist because I don't want to hear about it. But sometimes you need to hear about it. Like there's a cavity, go and get it fixed. I think there's some leadership problems on this West Coast that need to be fixed, Dan. We got to get it from outside. Yeah, I think everything, and I'm glad you made the transition because everything you say about the Pac-12 you can probably apply to USC as well. <laughs> and, and I do think, you know, I think that, you know, they're, they're, you know, get some new ideas, get some new, you know, thinking about doing things in different ways and what have you. I mean, that, that there haven't been big promotions, for example, for home game attendance is stunning to me. I mean, how many people did USC have that are in so-called athletic marketing? And, and, are we seeing, you know, no, we've seen three straight crowds in the 50,000s. I mean, that hasn't happened since, uh, what, 2000, I guess. 
Um, and I, I don't think that's a surprise. Everybody knew what was coming, but you would have thought that it figured out ways in which to really uh, promote uh, home game attendance. And I'm not sure I'm seeing that. I don't know. Have you guys noticed that? No, I haven't seen much of it, but I think they, they're probably backing off because of the construction. They don't want to like people to come like, oh, come here, and then they have a terrible experience. So I think they might not be doing it for that. But all right, well, we wow. better let you go. We got uh, we got we got to move on. We got to get on to our you lives, get okay. to practice, and all that fun stuff. But that's Dan Weber, uh, Keely. You are thanks so much for joining us. All of you out there listening to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 